This is a production of the AJ Podcast Network. Yeah, you gotta be If I'm your cage, leave But if you stay with me Eventually we'll find happy Here we go again with another episode of the Passage Home Podcast Starring the Dr. Stanley Russian And I'm your co-host, Baxter Dillian Now please visit our new website at www.linktree.com Forward slash Passage Home podcast where you can find all of our links listed and don't forget to ask alexa to play passage home podcast from iHeartRadio. and oh don't forget about my other podcast starring my boy aj myself and our newest co-host amory and it's called i can relate to that where we talk about a lot of things that we all can relate to you can find that on on www.linktree.com forward slash aj and backs and don't forget to ask alexa to play the i can relate to that podcast for you as well now if you need to get a hold of us you can reach us at passagehomepodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking to sponsor the show or you just want to drop us a line, go ahead and reach us at passagehomepodcast at gmail.com. Now, without any further ado, Dr. Snelly Russian, how you doing today? Amazing. By the grace of God, everything is, is amazing. And to, today, we, I have on, on the phone with me, um, and needless for me to say that I am humbled by having his presence, but I also say that I'm really blessed with the guests that I get because they are all humble. And uh, I, I want to say that about this brother is that, you know, he exemplifies something that Quincy Jones said, it don't come from me, it's just coming through me. And when people operate from that mode a lot of great things come forth. So my having those type of people on the show, they don't, they're not braggarts about themselves. They're just giving and sharing with you a lot of the things that, that God has done through them. And so without further ado, um, I want to introduce Andre Farr, a, a mentor of mine, and I heard the other day on a Zoom call, a uh, brother, uh, a DJ, uh, mentioned that even though he was older than Andre Farr, Andre Farr has been a mentor t- to him. And I want to repeat that sentiment for myself. And so without further ado, uh, Andre, welcome to the show. Hey, it is my pleasure to be here, Stan. It's always a pleasure to be anywhere you are because uh, greatness is where Dr. Stan Russian is. So it's a pleasure to be here. And you're welcome. Um, Andre, give us uh, a slight bio. And you, you're one of those people that if I didn't say that, you would take up the whole show. Uh, and the only thing that will slow you down is your humility. I might have to pull some things out of you, but I'm going to let you flow with a, site, a slight bio. Okay, well, 
Um, you know, I started, I, I, my bio starts when I was 11 years old and I started my first business and that business was, uh, mowing lawns and washing cars. And I started to really truly understand, uh, the exchange between work and compensation. And, uh, those were the things that kind of framed me, uh, for the better part of my life. Um, when I started that business, I, I went through, uh, uh, middle school and high school with the principles of, of what I call delayed gratification. When I got to uh, UCLA on a football scholarship after being a high school American, I continued my entrepreneurial pursuits and, uh, and did quite well. I promoted uh, and put on tour uh, MC Hammer and Ice Cube and, and just a bunch of uh, R&B and hip hop stars of the time, public enemy, um, and continued to do things not only uh, in the United States, but started to explore outside the United States. Uh, after upon graduating from UCLA, I helped write a film called The Program. And, uh, and I had made the decision early in my UCLA football career that I was not going to go play uh, NFL football like many of my family. In fact, the 17th member of my family is playing in the NFL right now. But I decided I wanted to go into business because I was mesmerized by my uncle Mel Farr, who had been the number one black businessman in, in America for several years. And while my teammate um, made a million dollar signing bonus from UCLA when he was drafted by the Denver Broncos, Mel made 118 million the same year. So as you would probably know, I said, that's more of the direction I want to go, not necessarily because of the money, but because of the impact I could make and uh, how many more people I can help if I maximize myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, upon graduating from UCLA, I went to uh, work with Mel Farr in the hopes that I would open up a auto dealership back here in California because he was based in Michigan. Uh, and from there, I got an opportunity to get into sports from the business standpoint. And so I, I became a sports agent. And with the agency I was with, we signed Keyshawn Johnson, who was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Keyshawn wanted to do a, a very interesting and exciting draft party in, on the West Coast in, in Los Angeles. We did it at a place called House of Blues. Uh, I meet the owner of House of Blues. Uh, a three-minute conversation turns into a three-and-a-half-hour conversation, and I become part owner of House of Blues and the head of my own division there. Uh, from there, uh, I renegotiate my younger brother, who's now in the NFL. I, I renegotiate his contract, and, I, and, and it was one of the highest uh, increases in NFL history. And so I became... Um, with the blessing of Jesse Jackson and Mel Farr and a bunch of other sports agents, I became the chairman of the Black Sports Agents Association. Um, so from there, I, I've done a lot of entrepreneurial um, uh, things. I've uh, been involved in a few businesses. Um, I've won uh, my fair share of awards. And uh, one of them, I won uh, Innovative Entrepreneur of the Year uh, from uh, the Obama administration in 2015. And um, 
so that's that takes me to to current day where I'm still running um, our executive business, our black sports agents business, and our family business, far as best, which is really one of the major passions of my life. Let me cherry pick something. Okay. Um, I met you about about 25 years ago, and right when you were developing the Black Sports Agents Association, I think, um, and this year you reached a milestone. You started, I remember when you started, Black sports players were only represented by Black sports agents uh, at 3%. Uh, would you like to expound on that? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, athletes were um, participating in something that's a, a, a cyclical um, societal illness where they were basically self-discriminating. Um, they wouldn't hire a black agent simply because he was black. Um, they didn't know that. Um, the reason was that, that, that they looked at it that way, the image of what a successful agent looked like in all the media looked like a, a, a white man, a white man is a successful sports agent. They never saw an image of a successful black agent. Well, we successfully um, uh, brought together a change and a paradigm shift in how our athletes looked at uh, agents. And uh, this past year, um, we represented the uh, over 50% of the first round in the NFL. And so that has, we had been, we've been getting very close for many years, but for this past year, we, we, we got over the hump and now we, uh, we, we did very well with that. So thank you for, for even bringing that up, Stan. I didn't even think you caught that. <laughs> right, right. Well, one more, one more part. I'm, I'm, I'm so pushing my memory right now. Who would you say amongst white sports agents was the Jerry Maguire of white sports agents? Oh, it's clearly it's, it, it, my good friend, Lee Steinberg. He was uh, clearly um, head and shoulders above uh, any other agent. He was ahead of his time. He's a graduate of UC Berkeley. His family uh, were, were UCLA Bruins. And, uh, and so he came from great pedigree, um, uh, although um, he may not have been African-American, and he still isn't, um, mm -hmm. he understood how important it was for the African-American player to be involved in the community, the, the community from which he came. So I have a lot of respect for, for Lee, and he has a lot of respect for me, and mm -hmm. uh, we have a great relationship. In fact, we're, we're, we're um, representing my cousin jointly right now. So, wow. so yeah, so we're excited about that. Right. That's what I was looking for right there. Okay. And, and, um, cause um, I remember once, um, at, at, a, on my birthday, uh, we were sitting in, in, in a home in Beverly, um, in Bel Air. Yeah. And there was a guy that the host invited who, who knew one of the top sports agents. And as we were sitting there and he was talking about, he was dating this guy's daughter. It came up that, that when you, when he mentioned his name, he was dropping names and he said, 
yeah, I, I know so-and-so, he lives up in Walnut, you know, and blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, I know him. He, he's on my board. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right, 100%. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So I want to get it to the, to, the, to, the, to the next part of the show. Uh, since, you know, that from your purview, and this is for the listeners out there that – um, the point I'm trying to drill home, I wanted to give him, everybody give their bio first to, so that you get some understanding as to who they are. But I want to give you the list, a purview of what they've seen uh, and how they see things that you haven't seen yet. And so my next question is to ask you, when you first went to Africa, I need you to relay to me and to the to the uh, audience out there. What did you feel spiritually when you uh, first visited the continent? You know, um, I didn't know that I would feel this way, and I'm glad you asked the question. Um, when I landed and my feet first touched the ground on uh, on the, um, the continent of Africa. Um, I felt uh, a sense of pride, um, uh, bewilderment. Um, I was uh, happy. I was uh, curious. Um, But at the same time, um, there was a certain sadness um, because, you know, all all these emotions and feelings uh, came over me all at once because the sadness came over me because I started to think about how we were ripped away from our homeland and how it took so many years um, of my ancestors putting us in position that would ultimately put me in position to actually make it back and to make it back on our terms, right? And so um, it, it was, it was uh, quite overwhelming, to be honest with you. Um, so from that moment forth, I wanted to soak up as much as a motherland as I could. And that's, you know, understanding the cultures there, uh, understanding the people, getting the chance to spend some time with them, um, being able to spend time just uh, admiring and, and, and soaking in the, the geography there uh, and being able to, to, to see the animals, you know, be able to, to see, you know, because, Parts of, of, of Africa are so developed, you would think you're still in Los Angeles, right? But right. The, gr- the great part about it is that you can also go out into the bush. And so I think it's one of the most special places on earth. And I think every black person in the world, uh, if they don't desire to move there, they should at least visit. And I think that might even change their minds. The final question that I'm gonna ask you and to the audience, once again, is you listening to a brother who was awarded and should have been awarded several times uh, the Minority Entrepreneur of the Year. From his purview, I wanted to ask him to let you know what Black folks can do in Africa to not only survive there, but to thrive because there are opportunities that are there. And and so you're, you're hearing this answer from a master entrepreneur. 
Well, you know, Stan, it, 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 it's funny. Um, I believe firmly if you don't start somewhere, you're not, you're not going to get anywhere. I also believe that if you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. But if you want to go somewhere far, go together, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the, 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 the most interesting thing uh, Bob Marley said, he wrote a song called uh, Cornerstone. And uh, in that, he, he mentions that the stone that the builder doesn't claim will become the cornerstone. Mm. And he, he wrote that because his father was Norval Marley, who was a, a German, a white German man, who did not claim him. Um, when, when he uh, consummated uh, the relationship with uh, Bob Marley's uh, mother uh, the mother was 16 years old one six and norval marley was six zero he was 60 years old mm. and uh, he rode a horse so the the things that that i see uh, about um us as black people all over the diaspora is that we need to reclaim what is already that was already ours um, the funny thing is that many people believe that you have to wait for God to prepare you or prepare your blessings for you, right? But I believe that he's preparing us for the blessing. The blessing is already there. So as it pertains to Africa, you know, there are many opportunities there. And many African-Americans are in a financial position to start businesses in Africa. And, and we should, you know, um, I think back in just 2018, as recently as 2018, uh, African-American businesses, um, they're owned by African-Americans and controlled by African-Americans in Africa grew by more than 400%. Mm. You know, since there was a storm of protests out there and, um, and, and we're protesting against what racial inequality, um, and there was an interest in, in seriously supporting Black-owned businesses, um, the interest and the success has soared. You know, um, they're, they're, I, I did a research on this because one of my best friends uh, invests in Africa routinely. And one of the things I looked at in my research is there have been more than 2.5 million searches for Black-owned businesses on Yelp. Mm. And... You know, and that was compared to only 35,000 over the same period just one year prior. Mm. So that means that there's a real interest in black business. There's a real interest. And, and who do you think is searching for black businesses? Do you think it's people who. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Right, right. So, so the idea is there is an appetite for it, and there are many, many opportunities uh, in Africa, all over the continent. And you know, we we must first know that you know Africa is not a country; it's a continent. Mm-hmm. So, there's multiple countries within Africa. So, whatever your appetite has, Africa has something to provide, something that will intrigue you, but you'll never know. Unless you go, there you go. You must get out there. Um, now, to me, a lot of guys say, "Well, man, that's a lot of work." 
Well, my one of my, one of my sayings is, I'll give out before I give in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means you know the Lord will take me home before I quit. Well, so uh, that I, that know. that triggers something when you said that, and <laughs> uh, that means that you have hope. Absolutely. And I said that because of what you said about that experiment with the rats. Can you share that with sure. with the uh with the rest of our audience? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh back in um back in the nineteen fifties, there was um there was a, an experiment uh done by Harvard University and it was a brutal experience, uh experiment. And basically it was, uh, they had rats in uh, containers of water and they would put the rats in the water just to see how long they could, uh, you know, wade in the water. How long could they swim and stay afloat before they gave out and started to drown? And they did this with several hundred rats. And they found out that the average was just about 15 minutes. So they thought about it and they said, okay, let's, let's, since we've taken them through that first round and and they gave out around 15 minutes, let's dry them off and let's let them rest. And then let's put them back in. So they did that. And the second time they put the rats in, I'm going to ask you, Stan, uh, and, and you have to pretend like you don't know the answer to this. Right. Uh, how long do you th- how long do you think most people would think the rats lasted the second time they went in? The, the second time they went in, the first time was how long? It was 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I would say about 20 to 30 minutes. Interesting, because most people say much less than that. Most people say the second time because they were so exhausted from the first time that they wouldn't even get to the 15 minute mark. Okay. Well, the truth is the average was 60 hours. So the first time they lasted about 15 minutes. The second time they lasted 60 hours on average. And why is that? Well, it's because there's something called hope. See when the, when the rats first, uh, uh, swam to exhaustion. Um, part of the reason why they were exhausted was because they thought there was no hope. They thought they were going to drown. They had been swimming for 15 minutes. Nothing's going to save me. So once they were saved and they were put back in the situation, they kept swimming because they had hope that they would be saved. They thought all they had to do was keep treading water and eventually they would be saved. Right. And so, so wait a minute. So the rest was saying, I'll give out before I give in. <laughs> I will give out before I give in. And they also, yeah. And they also believe that since they know that there's something down the road that is going to bring them to a better place mm-hmm. than the adverse situation they're in, they will keep going. The mind will take the body much further than the, the than the mind normally thinks it can go but you just have to have hope in order to get there. Mm-hmm. So that's what that experience is all about. Right. Right. So, so uh, we, we, we're going to be getting ready to close out in a minute. I just want to expound on, on your, um, and we're going to put in links 
under the description of some of the of things that, that you are involved in. One of the most, of all the things that you heard him talk about, one of the things that all of you listening can be invited to is his podcast for his black family um, enterprise that they're doing to, to, as a model for generational wealth within black families. And out of, out of that, just some things that I remember when he spoke about the three things that most black families need to focus on. Uh, I can remember two of them. Uh, one is a credit rating. Two is insurance. And what was the third one, Mr. Spar? <laughs> come on, come on now. Give me, give me the first two. Give me the first two. The and let's first see if two is a credit rating. Yeah. Second is ins- insurance. Yeah. And, and the third, the third is real estate investment. Right. Yeah. And and but something you said about uh, when you gave an antidote about why black folks ignore insurance when uh, you know when when uh, insurance is one of the most important things to create generational wealth can you share that with the group yeah sure insurance uh, is is one of the only instruments on planet earth that create wealth out of nowhere okay it it, it, it generates wealth where there is no actual um, a fundamental action, okay, uh, taking place. But many people, many black people um, have been discouraged from even thinking of that because of the effects, believe it or not, of um, what's happened with slavery. Slave, slave owners taught black people not to read. They made it uh, 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 against the law to own a business. So, they never, ever wanted black people to know about finance. So uh, when, when, when slave owners taught black men, especially, um, what they were supposed to do, they took some of those societal ills in the black men and took them directly into the black family. If you look at how black people were punished, where do you think a switch came from? Okay, a switch is just another instrument um, of 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 the whip, which is what many slave owners use. So black men did the exact same thing. Now, uh, and it's funny, it's it's funny and not so funny. People said, well, black men would have used a whip, too. The only thing is he couldn't afford one. So he had to go break a branch and that became his whip. And so however the slave owner disciplined him the black man started to believe that is how you're supposed to discipline because that's how he's been socialized, right? Almost institutionalized. So he takes that into his home and applies it to his own. He applies it to his own family. Um, So therefore going to, when we we go back and talk to about um, finance and about death, many black people were taught not to think about death not to plan for death, because if you even talk about it, you're calling on death. So if you talk about a will, that means you're putting yourself in jeopardy of dying quickly. So they would ignore it. 
That's why the majority of African-Americans in this country um, actually settle the estate after someone passes away through probate. And as most people know, when you settle through probate, uh, a lot of that money goes to the state and not to the family. So we have to do a much better job of preparing our state so that we can pass wealth down uh, to our family. We're already 25 generations behind our white counterparts. And, uh, and the only way to do it is through not only the study of uh, uh, financial literacy, but also really taking a look at financial behavior. So um, just a peek into the future, um, and, and uh, like I said, we're going to put some links down to your organizations, the ones that, that uh, in, in the orientation is going to be there in the the, park, the Zoom meeting that you have on, uh, on Saturdays uh, will orientate people. But, to, but in your future endeavors with your family, uh, I, I was just amazed listening to your family podcast that you you and your extended family you have members in Liberia and in Jamaica and yes. and and so and then you have the business aspect that ties all that together right we want to share that with everybody and, and invite all those listening to come in there is protocol with that's just there that will be explained uh, uh, about this, but I have people that are listening for to model after this to for their own families because you put in the work, you you made this baby walk and 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 talk and and it's still growing with 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 the 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 newness of it. But I I hear that it's ranked as one of the top black African-American families in the, in the country yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, we're considered the number one urban family in America and, uh, and, and we don't take that lightly. Uh, we're doing everything that we can to not only uh, uh, create a model for other people to follow, but also to create a platform and a portal for people to partner with us as we grow and, and create a better paradigm for African-Americans here in America and, and for black people all over the world. So it's, 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 it's a lot of work, um, but remember, too much is given, much is required. And so we're, we're excited about this opportunity and this challenge, and we, and we take it on. We thank God for this challenge. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And on that note, I, I want to thank, thank you so much for... Um, what you brought to the table uh, and to bless the, the people that will hear hopefully throughout these podcasts, I've, I have um, given them a purview that it ain't that scary out there that when you go to Africa, like Andre said, and a lot of my guests said, you know, brothers saying, tell them, tell them, uh, we're not running from lions every day and living in huts. No, we uh, we, we have on three piece suits and we're going to work with a briefcase. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful land, and uh, and I really, really encourage everybody, uh, black people especially, 
uh, to go and see uh, uh, where where uh, we came from and where the first people on earth where they walked. I think you would get a great history lesson, and uh, and maybe you would value people more if you went out there. So I'm excited about the possibilities of that. And then Stan, I want to thank you for extending this opportunity for me to speak on your show, but I also thank you for all the influence and all the impact you've made on African-Americans and other throughout your entire career as a teacher, as a mentor, um, as a friend, as a, as a confidant, um, you know, Stan is the man. And we believe many people believe as I do, that, uh, you know, you you are definitely the man. There, you know, there, you, there's nobody. When God made you, he made one of one. So I'm just proud to be your friend. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. And on that note, we, we're going to close out. And, and, and uh, until next time. Um, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another Passage Home podcast starring the Dr. Stanley Russian with our guest, Andre Farr. Oh man, Andre Farr is a blessing just to even sit down and be able to be, being able to talk with this man. Like his accomplishments are out of this world. Um, if you want to learn finance, you need to look up Andre Farr. Definitely, Dr. Stanley, man, you are awesome. You are the man. Make sure y'all just look into Andre Farr, y'all. This is a production of the AJ Podcast Network.